Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Try Faster podcast presented by the Fort Worth Tri Club, where we dive into triathlon-specific training and coaching and discuss current triathlon news and races. My name is Michael Mansfield, and I am joined by my coach and friend, Keith Kotar. How are you doing, coach? Pretty good. Just uh, recovering from the marathon. And yeah, you did a marathon just, what, three or four days ago, and I want to hear a lot more about that. Um, Today, we're going to be recapping 2022 in terms of highlights, awards, best races, biggest surprises, things that we saw exciting in the triathlon news landscape. Um, We're also going to be talking about, because a couple pros are putting out some interesting numbers related to, hey, what's it like being a pro? Uh, How are the finances all coming together? And and Keith, you were a former pro, so you can give a little bit more perspective uh, on that. And then we're going to also be looking ahead to 2023. So some of the other things we're looking on that front. Before we dive into some of the triathlon news, coverage keith let's switch it over to the training updates race updates because like we just said you were racing three or four days ago how are you feeling uh not too bad i uh the race didn't quite go as planned um i got sick a couple days after and so i think i was kind of fighting off something uh during because i just didn't really feel i didn't feel great the last couple weeks leading up to the race like i felt like i wasn't recovering that well um and uh, the race didn't really go the way that I thought fitness-wise. Um, but I did go out there trying to win the race as opposed to just running my own race. And so I ran with the leader for the first 14 miles. And um, I I felt pretty good. We were running. We worked into it. I think uh, the first mile was about 6.05. And then most of them after that were kind of in the 540s, 550s. Um, and then I put a couple surges on him and I thought that I, I was pretty confident that I was going to be fine. Cause I felt really good when we got to 10, 11, 12. And, um, and I put a big move on him at an aid station about halfway and I gapped him by like 30 or 40 meters. And I figured that was going to be it. Uh, and then all of a sudden my left leg just kind of started to lock up and he caught back up and then dropped me by 14. And then I was just kind of on, damage control I think the rest of the way and uh, I went through the half in like I think almost exactly 117 and then I ended up finishing at 251 so the last few miles were pretty rough Um, Mm. both legs just completely stopped Uh, cardiovascularly I was fine energy wise I was fine Uh, so I think nutritionally I was doing the right things Uh, just uh, all at once got hit really bad and couldn't turn the legs over uh, my heart rate was like in the 140s at the time, so the race was still pretty easy from a pacing perspective. And uh, yeah, just didn't, didn't have the legs in the end. Um, but it was pretty disappointing looking at the splits, like um, compared to my last 20-mile long run three weeks out, I think my 20-mile split was only a minute faster, except that mile 20 this last weekend was like eight-something, and the day I ran that 20 miles of training mile 20 was 540. And so I was getting faster and last weekend I was getting slower. So, Mm. um, that being said, my legs don't feel too bad. Uh, I was able to get a massage on Tuesday and that I think sped up the recovery quite a bit. And I'm planning to go running today. Today is Friday. So, um, yeah, we'll see. I feel pretty good. I'll, I'll be doing another full here locally five weeks from Sunday. So we'll give it another shot. Um, I'm going to approach it a lot differently though. I think I'm going to stick to, uh, a power plate pacing plan, 325, 330 Watts and just wait and not go any faster until 
I know I'm it's it's late enough in the race that I can do it. Yeah, so a couple of things like one, you're racing a marathon, which not a lot of people ever do. Yeah. It was it was that's uh, pretty tough. Yeah, it was it was a race and not a a time trial, so that changed the dynamics, I think. Yeah, I think like most people, myself included, go out and try and do almost any type of race distance. We're just doing what we can for what we think our capabilities are. It's really unique. Obviously, you're at the pointy end of things, and you're able to actually go out there and and race, which is which is cool. But the result of your race sounds like super similar to my Chicago marathon where I felt like everything was clicking and nutrition was good. Cardiovascularly good and legs failed me a little bit. Maybe not quite obviously the same, but it sounds similar. Yeah. And I think respects, at least how we describe it. Yeah. It's, and it's hard to, as triathletes, I think to get the volume needed to hang on for a marathon. And so uh, at that pace, you know, when you're running at that percent of your capacity, it's not, uh, it's not like when you're doing an Ironman and it's a much lower intensity than a, an open marathon. And so I think that you're muscularly, it's, it's a really big ordeal for your legs to go through when you're running that hard. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with that. I'll have another shot at it though next fall. So I'm looking forward to doing that. Um, what's your goal then if you're running 320, 325 on the power? Um, I, with the, the race here is a lot harder. It's got about 850 feet of climbing. And so it's pretty rolly. I think, uh, that should put me in the low sixes for the most part. And so, you know, hopefully I can at least sneak under 240 and, uh, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Okay. I ran 245 at this race in 2019 and I had a nutrition blow up with about five miles left. And so, um, I think I can go faster. I might not be quite as fast on the top end, but I think that I'm strong enough to go faster. So we'll see. Yeah. So did Jacqueline do the full last, last week? She did the half. She did the half. How'd she do? She went a couple minutes faster than her half, uh, here in Dallas last month. So it was good. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Good for her. All right. So, uh, how about you? How's training? So we last connected, our last episode was like a month or more ago. Um, and it feels like I've been constantly sick or, and not, a, and we talked in our last episode, if you remember, like we talked a lot about how to deal with sickness, when to take time off, when not to take time off. Um, because I think even before that I was sick for a week and the last month plus has been pretty much just me trying to re-listen to that, listen to your advice. When do I work out? When do I not? Um, but it's been, you know, sick for a week, healthy for a couple days, sick again. A lot of it though has been those, you know, head cold type illnesses where it wasn't necessarily feeling all that great or an illness like, um, you know, stomach bug or the kids get sick. So I'm very hopeful, um, you know, since it's been about a month and a half of different, different battles that were kind of working our there's nothing there's nothing else that can actually make us sick anymore i'm hopeful we'll find out um but even despite all that like i mentioned a lot of the training has still been able to execute on most of the training haven't taken many of the day haven't needed to take many days off there's been a couple um and it actually uh it feels good right now because i'm 
obviously you're designing my plan coach and the uh, plan we're now we're now getting into the part where we're actually getting a little bit more intensity so i'm excited for that having intensity mixed back in on the bike and the run um, because sometimes that slow and easy stuff is is just is quite dreadful especially indoors on a treadmill try to do an hour and a half slow indoors on a treadmill anyone if, if you really enjoy doing that you're I don't know, you're a psycho. Um, but I do my best. It's not fun. But if you can even just mix in like a minute or a mile here or there, like tempo, like that helps a lot because it just takes takes your mind off and lets you focus on your pace versus, you know, just jogging on a treadmill. So things are getting things are good. Feel like I'm progressing where I need to be. Tons of time before the season, before any racing starts for me. I'm not racing in five weeks. Um, but uh, things are moving in the right direction. Yeah, that's good. And, and you just need to come down here for a training camp because it's been uh, 70 or 80 degrees for the last week. That'd be cool. I'd probably melt, honestly. I don't think I could handle that. Because um, yep. I'm like, in the basement's probably like 60 degrees. I have a huge fan blowing on me and, and I still get hot, which is amazing. So anything like warmer, like 70, 80 degrees, and I, I'd melt like a frosty the snowman. Yeah, we uh, we had a cold front come through and it was 39 this morning. So that's... Ooh, be careful. Yeah. Yeah. I know there like that cold front a couple of weeks ago around around the holidays. It was like minus 50 wind chill up here. It was, it was bad. Yeah, it got really cold here for a few days. Really cold for here. I think you know, but it always cracks me up. Like I know you can't be like checking the weather up here, but you're like I think you had put in like some sprint workout when it was like minus I can't do that on the treadmill. Uh, so it's like, I got to I got to change that up. So um I'm not going outside when it's minus 50. So I try my best. Um, what, which kind of brings me to a question: How do you? How do most people do hills, repeats on a treadmill? Like, what's the right percent incline? Because we've been doing quite a bit of those in training, and I do like four or five percent. I don't know if that's like too aggressive, not aggressive enough. Like, what do most people do if you're trying to do a hill workout on a treadmill? I think that's a pretty good number. I think you kind of want to be in between and it depends on the workout too. If it's like long strength type hills, it's probably better to be a little more gradual. Um, but if you're doing something really, really fast or top end, you could make it a little bit steeper. Um, but probably not more than like 8%. That's probably the max. That'd be pretty tough. I, yeah, I don't even know if the treadmill, it probably goes eight or 10%. I don't know, but like 5% is pretty steep people. Like, yeah, that's steep. Mount Ventoux is like 6%. I biked at that, and it feels like you're about to fall off of it when if you get off the bike. So I don't know why anyone would need to go 8%. It would be insane. Um, okay, that's helpful. I don't think we really ever do much gradual hill stuff, but um, maybe that's something that comes later in the plan. Yeah, sometimes, for th- uh, especially with runners, we'll do some longer hills to help uh, kind of just get some strength, strength training in without actually doing strength training. Yeah. So, uh, do we want to move into a, a brief recap of 2022? Yeah, it was a it was a really good year. Yeah, yeah, I think it was great. It was nice to see that racing was back to normal, right? I think that was the biggest part of 2022 was everybody was actually back to racing. There there may have even been too many races this year. Um, I think there was definitely too many races, and it's it's kind of to the point like the PTO now has their full schedule of races or they're trying to put a full schedule out. Ironman has 
all their race schedules out and every all championships across the globe if you're a pro like you can't do it all it's too much and you have to like i don't know we'll talk like maybe when we get down to like hey life is a pro but like do you look at what pros are doing what and then try to like figure out which races to go to that give you the best chance to make money do you try to just be the most competitive and go to the most you know all the world championships like how do you do it but there you're right there's too many races if you're a pro yeah i think i mean i think there could never be too many races because any opportunity for pros to make money is good but uh, it's hard to hit all the big races now because there are so many larger races that i don't think the pros can actually hit all of them uh, but to kind of talk about what you said with you know which how do you pick your races uh, iron man you used to be able to just sign up for whatever races you wanted if you were a pro. And so sometimes guys would sign up for two or three races that were all on the same weekend or a week apart. And then they'd wait till the start list came out and then drop out of the ones that they felt like they had the lowest chance of doing well in. And then they would go to the one with the easiest field. So it kind of came Is that down not to how like, it works anymore or how does it work now? I, I believe it's the same system. I don't think they've ever implemented a penalty for pulling out of a start list. Um, like in world triathlon, if you come off a start list, it has to be medical. And if it's not medical, then you got a 30 day suspension where you can't get put onto another start list. And so, Ooh, yeah, that's, I feel like, I like that's that. how Iron Man should do it. So that you're stuck with whatever you decide to, to get on the start list for. That, that'd be a better system because I hate it when, when pros, you know, like, like if it's medical, sure. Um, but like, they're, if they're on multiple start lists or cam warp is on every start like 80 percent yeah. of the start list and you know he, he's like racing two or down under like he's not going to be there right um uh and that's always like a question mark but then he should he'll he'll do one or two races he'll get his qualifying spot and then he'll be at the world championship events that's what he does yeah yeah they must not have changed because i feel like we've looked at start lists just in the last few months yeah. and we've seen seen guys on multiple lists same you know who do. they are. Like Cam Warp is probably yeah. at the top of the list in terms of like he does that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So where do we want to start? Um, we kind of like broke this down. Maybe we should we should have dressed up. We could make this like an, a video or something. But like highlights and awards of hey, what we saw last year, um, and we have a couple different categories we want to run through. Where do you want to go first? Uh, I guess we could start with with the best athletes of of long course and short course. I don't know if you have okay. any short course though. <laughs> I, so when you say short course, you're talking like the draft legal circuits. Ooh, that's tough. Yes. For me. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to let you take that one because you're much more knowledgeable than I. So what, what did you see? what did you like in terms of who's the best athlete on the short course side? Uh, I think it's hard to, to go against the world champions. Uh, Flora had a really, really strong year and she, you know, had some wins. She ended up winning the world championship. She won the grand final by a lot. Um, on the men's side, Leo Berger ended up winning the world championship just because Alex E and Hayden Wild both had slightly off days at the grand final. Um, but Berger didn't really, uh, I don't think he had any wins until the grand final. And so he was just consistently in the mix all year long. Um, and then it also helped him out, I think, that they counted races from last year. The, the last couple of races of 2021 were, were counted towards 2022. And Alex and Hayden skipped those, and it, it came back to, to bite them a little bit later on. But um, I would say it's probably Leo just because of his consistency over the year. 
Uh, but Hayden Wild was on fire when you look at uh, winning Super League and winning uh, World Triathlon races. So he's probably a very close second uh, for the short course athlete of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then uh, on the long course side, what do you think about uh, the best athletes we saw in long course? I think it's pretty simple. Um, and maybe you disagree. I don't know. Uh, but the PTO rankings lie. The best long course male was not Christian Blumenfeld. It was Gustav Eden. He wins every time he lines up. He just didn't line up in St. George in May. And Christian did. He won that race. And um, Christian was second to him in Kona. And I think, you know, anytime Gustav's on the line, Christian's, Christian's the second best person out there. So who's the best on the long course side? Best athlete, male? Gustav Eden. Uh, on the female side and i think she you know we're going to talk about some of these other categories but i think she fits in in a lot of a couple of the other categories um uh, ashley gentile like she just had such a great year she didn't race the iron man distance which i really hope she does but in terms of like just how she dominated how well she uh, performed in every half or pto open or the collins cup um she really had an amazing year and i think she you know we're giving away our awards i think she should be awarded for that i don't know what's your thoughts on those two picks yeah i i agree too i think that ashley gentle was probably the uh the best as far as she was able to do the half distance well um it, but looking at at the ironman distance it's i think it's hard to go against lucy charles after just kind of the whole the total year that she had um even though it was it was a short year, but she came in and she showed up at the championship races, and so I think she would be be my pick. Um, even though she didn't race the the spring Ironman World Championship. Okay. Uh, I mean, I could see that, and considering what she went through, yeah. Then certainly, and let, maybe let's jump to one of the other categories: biggest surprises. Okay, there was a lot of interesting storylines, and I think that Lucy Charles Barclay, like her storyline of not even knowing if she was going to race at all in 2022, and then coming and having the performances that she did, um, competing in Kona, and like that was only a couple months after being really back. Uh, it was impressive that she could go there with her hip, have the confidence in her run, and just be able to, to beat that out. Not only that, but then she was back in St. George and trying to defend that title just a couple weeks later or a month later. So to me, I think just biggest surprises at you know April April May time period, um, we didn't think Lucy was going to be participating in any races in 2022, and then she comes back and she gets uh, a second in Kona and a, what was it third in uh, St. George for 70.3, I believe. So that's yeah. impressive. Yeah, for sure. Um, Do you have anything else in the surprises category? Um, probably. Well, I don't know. Maybe Chelsea Sidara winning the winning Kona. Uh, I know that Lucy coming back was a big deal, but I don't think anybody. (laughs) Do what? I I I don't think anybody picked Chelsea. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that was the biggest one, and then I think on the. Looking at the short course, I think Leo Berger winning the world championship was was not not on in the script for anybody this year either. 
<laughs> but you have him as best best athlete as well. So I don't know. Can you be the best? Can you be the best athlete and also the biggest surprise? I, I guess. Um, yes, because guess it was possible. surprising that he was the best athlete. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I, I want to touch on one point on the um, Chelsea Sedaro topic. Right? Like she didn't race a lot in 2022. Are we yeah. going to see more athletes race less? Just and that's kind of like what. Daniela has done in the past like she would race one or two times she shows up like no one no one really knows how Daniela's fitness is because she doesn't race a lot um Jan Jan is the same way like like he's 40 now or however old he is but even before the pandemic he would race one or two races you know he's probably one of the fittest out there but you really didn't have a big you know uh barometer for how well is he going to perform are we going to see more athletes like and I'm thinking more on the uh, full distance that are like, I'm going to do one or two races. I'm going to qualify. And then I'm going to be 100. The rest of my year is building up to, to Kona. Because if you try to insert three, four races throughout the year before Kona, you just can't, it makes it more difficult for you to manage. Like, and Chelsea was one of those people. She kind of took the script of some of the most successful athletes that we've seen in the past in Kona. They don't race a lot. Is that more, is that going to be something more people do? I hope not, and I feel like with the PTO Opens becoming bigger races, that that's not going to to happen. I feel like people will still find a way to to race a few times throughout the year. There's too much money out there now. You know, triathlon, it's hard to make a living. That's what we're going to talk about here in a few minutes, and I think that people will make sure that they can make a living because you can't race Kona if you can't make money either. So that's, uh, that's the tough part. But I guess it, it'll. We're going to talk about it. But if it, if what if your goal isn't about making money, it's just to win. Which like because if you look at the list of people that make money versus those that don't, most people in this sport and the pro list are supported by other means. So if your goal is not to, you know, just earn a steady income, put your eggs in one basket. Yeah, if you have the ability to do that. But I think that there's yeah. just not enough triathletes out there that make enough money to f- put enough energy into trading uh, without having another job or another income stream. Yeah. All right. So well, now we'll, that you can we'll actually talk, make we'll money talk off more triathlon. About that. Yeah. Well, yeah. PTO is really, it's brought in options, which is a good thing. Uh, but we have a couple other categories to kind of highlight 2022. Best races. Which race did you enjoy watching the most? For me, it was the World Cup in Bergen. It was uh, both the men's and the women's races came down to sprint finishes, and it was they were both really, really exciting. Um, I think the best part, too, uh, was getting to see Christian come back down to short course after uh, being mostly long course all year long and then get second in a World Cup. That's, uh, that's pretty amazing. And so uh, that that's probably the men and the women – um, at that World Cup. So if you haven't watched that, go back and watch it. Um, it was a sprint distance, so it was only 750, 20K, and 5K. And uh, that those were two great races. What about you? Uh, it's on my list of things to watch. I promise. <laughs> I think the most exciting thing in terms of like races, and it covers multiple races, but uh, like the PTO did it. Ironman is doing it. Men and women racing on separate days um or at least in separate like races 
um, in some cases. But the Ironman World Championship, we actually have like a full day dedicated to women. I thought that was awesome. I think it was good for viewers of triathlon, people that actually want to watch. You get to see the whole storyline unfold on the women's side, which I've never really been able to do um, because they'll highlight the top two or three athletes historically on the women's side, but most of the coverage was focused on the men. This year, we got to see everything. You got to see all the way, okay, who's coming up from 10th? Who's now in 5th? Like, the story was much deeper. I thought that that was really cool. So if I had to pinpoint best races, I would just say, hey, the women's race in Kona. But, you know, in a more larger sense, it's all the women's races being highlighted. It's a whole other level of of depth to the story that that they're able to share now. And it's similar to the men's. They deserve the same, they deserve the same coverage as the men do. And I hope that we continue to see that. And obviously we are because we're going to see split destinations too in our, in the world championships. So I thought that that was yeah. really neat. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, I guess also my, my honorable mention for best race was just the PTO US Open because I got to, to watch it in person. <laughs> That'd be cool too. Yeah. That's awesome. And another split race type setup. Right. All right. So, uh, best performance last category yeah we talked about her talked about the race a little bit best performance chelsea sidaro for me because no one thought she was going to do what she was going to do except for her obviously she thought she could do it um and she just executed a really strong race on the swim on the bike i don't think she you know blew anyone away by the performance well the bike was pretty impressive actually uh, and then she just ran an exceptionally strong run in the heat who would have thought yeah, I think I think that was uh, probably the best performance. It's hard to it's hard to say that Gustav wasn't, but I think the way that Chelsea kind of ran away from everybody, whereas the men's race was kind of close, makes it a little bit more spectacular than the the men's performances, even though they were very very fast. The only reason I wouldn't give Gustav best performance, I don't think he's even pushing it yet. Honestly, like if you, when I watch. What he's calm, he's collected. Like, have we really seen him go to his limit? And the answer, my answer to that, was, I don't think so. I think there's a lot more in his tank that we'd love to see. Yeah, I mean, their coach said uh, at least ten more minutes will come off without any effort. So we'll see. Gustav is Gustav is holding back, and that's the thing I think people don't realize. Like sometimes people debate who's the best. Like. And Christian's in number one in the rankings. Like I, no, Gustav's. There's there's something special there. He's gonna he's gonna do a lot more damage if yeah. there's someone to push him. I don't think it matters. I think he's gonna get get faster anyway. I well, I mean, certainly he probably could have been five minutes faster if they didn't um, let the gap open up on the bike. So, you know, yeah. him and Christian, they just sat back. But now, are we going to have to wait until 2026 to see them go back to Kona? That's, uh, that might be 20, the tough part. 2026. Oh, shit. You're right. Okay, because so- we don't know <laughs> if they're going to go in 2024 with the Olympics, and then it's not going to be in Kona again until 26. So we might have to see him go back and, and win in Nice in 25 before uh, he goes back to Kona. Yeah, that. but you're right. You You might be right. Because uh, that's their goal. They're, they're him, uh, Gustav, Christian. Are there any other main note key notables that are really now going to focus and transition to 
the qualifying process for 24? I don't think so. I think maybe the only question mark would be Ben Canute. Hmm. Seeing as he just did an Ironman, but I'm sure that he would still love to be on that relay. But I don't, I don't think he will be going back to short course. But Ben Canute got, uh, co- got, got a slot for that, right? He got a Coda slot, yes. In Arizona, well, he got a knee slot. That's right, a knee slot, yes. Um, that's going to be hard to like get out of your mind. Yeah, that's that's Kona very slots. strange. You're a Kona qualifier or you're a Nice qualifier. Does it matter or do we still just call it Kona qualifiers? I guess we have to start saying world championship qualifiers. Ugh. But uh, I'm pretty sure he got a slot. I'm checking right now. I think so. Um, he is not. Oh, he deferred. Um. He took his all-male athletes who qualified before the announcement of Nice were given the option to defer to 2024, including the pros. Ben Canute has deferred to 2024. So, but if he's doing the Olympics in 24... Interesting. I wonder... Oh, I, I bet that his plan is, since it's not in Kona, Nice is a lot earlier in 2023... And so he's probably going to be focused on 70.3 then because it would be very hard to do the double based on the date. And oh, so the date in Nice is earlier in the year? I didn't it's, know that. I think it's five weeks earlier. Oh. And so that uh, I bet he's going to focus on PTO and the half distance, and then he'll go to go to Kona when it's back in October after that. Yeah. So Interesting. let's see. Uh, I'm looking at the date right now. I didn't know the pros got the chance to defer. Like I know age groupers had the chance if they wanted to defer into 2024 Kona. I didn't know the pros got to do that as well. I guess it's probably good that they let them because of the date shift. If it was just the same date in a different place, then they probably would say no. But moving it up a month, it's September 10th. So that might end up being It's not that big of a change. I, I guess I'm still just surprised. Yeah, but it's only going to be three weeks after, two or three weeks after 70.3 Worlds. So now there's going to, it's already going to be, I wonder how, how is Ironman going to handle qualifying age groupers for 24 if like, hey, are half the spots already filled? Like they're going to have to cut down the number of slots in each race for in 2023. I don't know if we have an answer to that yet. And then it'll also be interesting to see now, it won't be that, but not, there's going to be a lot more pros than that qualify for 24. And it's um, going to be a much bigger pack of racing, but it could be more pros. Yeah, I don't know what if they've set a, a field limit or not. So we'll have to, that'll be something to monitor as 2023 goes on. Okay. Um, what else are we looking forward to in 2023? Uh, for me, it's, it's a new PTO ranking since you just said that the the rankings are wrong. Hopefully uh, they have said that they're going to change it. And then it's going to be, it's, I think it's supposed to come out fairly soon. And then it's going to be retroactive back to last March when racing picked up in 2022. And so we'll, uh, we'll get a, a brand new set of rankings pretty soon. Even the PTO looked at their rankings and were like, crap, it's not right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad that it's going to change a little bit. I think they all they need to do is like have a like who in the triathlon like 
similar to how here in the United States you have your bowls and you, they rate different teams, but you can rank and rate and look at all the numbers. But at the end of the day, you take all those numbers and you need to have a person adjust it or a committee of people adjust them in the in the way that makes sense. Yeah, I I like the I think they should adopt something similar to World Triathlon where based on the tier of the race it has a a set point value and then it gets like a quality of field factor if if a bunch of good people show up so if some race is worth a thousand points for every person ranked in the top 20 i think that shows up it gets like a two percent bonus so then it'll kind of reflect that you you did well against good people you know um, and Ironman yeah. had a similar ranking system uh, when I was racing pro where they had different tiers of races and the tiers were determined based on the purse. And then uh, they were different point values for different purse sizes. The numbers are always going to be confusing though. Like you can always, and that's probably what they're doing. They're trying to like create a new model based off historic data and say, okay, this is how we want the rankings to look like or what we think they should look like. Let's right. now go back and use the math to see how we can get it to look that way right? Someone is doing that. But the future is always going to be different than the past. And it's going to be broken again the next after 12 more months of racing, because who knows what's going to happen. All I'm saying is, it'd be makes sense to take away it. It's numbers 80%, 20%, you know, it's the eye test. And there's a committee of people that say no Gustav was better than Christian. <laughs> right? Like, it's pretty simple. Yeah, what a fun job, right? I'll, I'll volunteer, okay, <laughs> if they need people. I can help yeah. you with that. Yeah, how hard could it be to uh, to put something together? I'll do the eye, I'm the eye test part, just to be clear. I'm not going to do any math. <laughs> I'll help you with the eye test. And then uh, other things next year, I think the new PTO events, they have finally uh, released one of their events they they just announced the asian open uh it's going to be late august uh, but they haven't announced the canadian open or the u.s open um, or if there's going to be a european open no locations anything um, i did hear that the canadian open is set for late july and the u.s open is set for early august so we might be looking at canada u.s asia three races in four or five weeks time which might be very packed Mm-hmm. And then they also so put you uh, pick and choose. Yeah, and then they put the Asian Open the week before seventy point three worlds. So if you're if you really want to try to make a lot of money and do a lot of damage to your body, you can essentially do four halves in about six weeks. It's too much racing. That's too much. It or it's just gonna be good paydays for B level pros, which is fine with me, I think. I think that's what, yeah, the the pros that are looking at the 70.3 and if all these races are stacked in the fall, even pros that are looking at Kona are going to say, well, I don't think pros that are really Kona-oriented have the speed it, to compete with some of these quick people in the PTO side of things. Um, some do, like Gustav. Most don't. So it would be interesting to see like who, who steps up and wants to go to these races, even with the money on the line that the PTO brings. Yeah, and then uh, I think the last thing that I'm excited about is is Olympic qualifying. It started in May this of 2022, but this is when it starts to really pick up. Will be uh, after May of 2023. You can they get to count 
um, up to six races from the 22 from the May of 22 to May of 23 period, but then they could count up to eight races from May of 23 to May of 24 for their Olympic qualifying ranking. So this will be when it starts to get really fun and uh, serious as far as which countries will get how many slots. Good stuff. I don't know how you keep track of all that. Like, it's too complicated to me. Uh, it, I feel like I should stay on top of that with my my goals and aspirations within our our governing body. No, I totally get it, but like, is it complicated for you? Um, no, because I've been a I've been following it since I was a teenager. Yeah, and so I've been okay. able to just kind of watch the the changes are minute now, as opposed to trying to learn it all at once. It is it is hard from like since I have never really followed the Olympic side of things. Like to your point, like different countries get different numbers of slots based off performance and how then the athlete the country qualifies i believe but not the, or does the athlete qualify the countries qualify so yeah so like it, it's complicated this is complicated yeah. then how does the athlete qualify the country has to pick them through their own selection process so that's yeah that's kind of the one thing about olympic sports is it can be a little bit iffy i think i think in 2012 we had three men earn our spots and then three different men got to go I mean that that doesn't seem right. I'd, but I'd be pretty upset. I would too. Uh, I'll try to pay a little bit more attention to that this year, but I've always found it a little bit hard to understand. We'll give some qualifying updates and we'll simplify it. Keep everybody up to okay. date. On the, Keep on it. The yeah, some, someone needs to figure out a way to simplify it because yeah, they, it, is, it is tough. They added a wrinkle with the relay too, because to be on the relay you have to be in the individual but you can also automatically qualify a relay. And so if you automatically qualify a relay, you automatically get two men and two women in the individual and, and the other way around. If you qualify two yep. men and two women in the individual, yep. you automatically get a relay. I can't put the puzzle pieces together that, you, that you're talking about right now. Um, but I know it'll be exciting if we see Gwen Jorgensen back in the Olympics. Yes, so that'll be interesting. trying to get on that relay team. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. All right, so maybe uh, a little bit now about where do uh, where do pros make their money? Yeah, let's talk about it. Most so this was something that I had an idea, or we've talked before in the past even. Um, but I was on YouTube. I saw a video of Ruth Assel, and she's very open about you know income and expenses. Where's the money coming from? Uh, and then historically, Cody Beals, he, I don't think he's done it for a couple of years. You were just trying to look it up, right, Keith? Um, but he's always been very open with, hey, where does the money come from? How are pros making it? And, like, I don't think it would be much of a surprise to make the statement that a lot of pros aren't making a lot. and But at the tippity-top, they, they certainly probably are. Um, so there's there's obviously a split. But let's just talk about Let's just maybe before we like get into any of the details and the specifics, Keith, you were a, you were a pro for how many years? Three. Okay, three years as a pro. Um, where does money for pros come from? Maybe kind of break that all down. So I'm sure that there are income streams that I don't know about, but I think the the common thing is sponsors. But a lot of pros don't even have monetary sponsors. They might be uh, bonus related. So. Um, there was an athlete I knew that race pro um, that still does, and if this person was first out of the water, they'd get a bonus from their wetsuit sponsor or their 
their uh, tri-suit sponsor, right? And so that's kind of a lot of the a, a way that sponsors give money is, hey, if you go out to a race and you show off our product for, you know, swimming, biking, running and do well, then we'll give you a bonus as opposed to, you know, any sort of actual salary. It's hard to get um, real money from a sponsor unless you're Gomez or Predato or, you know, some big name guy. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the first one is sponsors and they could be, they might be a little bit of a salary plus some bonuses or maybe no salary and only bonuses. And that's probably more common for most athletes. Um, and some of them might be just product. And then, uh, the next one is prize money, but a lot of athletes really can't make a living off prize money, um, unless you're one of the handful that wins now, now that we have the PTO, if you're one of the few that wins a PTO event, maybe you can, that's, I think for most of us, that would be almost a year's worth of money coming in. If you, if you won one of the opens, um, or finish in the top few in the world rankings. Um, but prize money is pretty tough. And when you look at Ironman, I think Kona last year paid, it only pays to 10. Um, and then even if you're 10th, it only pays a couple thousand dollars. All the, all the prize money information you can find on on Iron Man's website, but uh, it's not a lot of money. And so if you're going to Kona, you know, 50, 60 pros go to Kona, only 10 get prize money. But after you take out the cost of going to Kona, probably only four or five actually come out ahead. And so mm -hmm. uh, the biggest part is that you really just don't, um, you can't rely on prize money. And because lots of times you might gamble and, and uh, lose money on a race. So uh, I just pulled up the Ironman one. For Kona, it paid to 15, but you got $3,000 for 15th. And so, you know, most pros are saying it was costing them ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 to make the trip. So if you were seventh, you got $15,000. So in order to break even, you had to be top seven Ironman athletes in the world, right? That's That's tough. Yeah, if you take sponsors out, right? Like I would imagine right. some sponsor agreements are like, "Hey, race Kona, yeah, you know, here's ten, twenty grand bonus, right? Something like that." But right. we don't know those details. I would suspect right. that's structured that way, but I don't know. Uh, and then your your other best bet is probably from the bonus pool. So both World Triathlon and Ironman and the or not Ironman, but the PTO, they have their world rankings bonus pool at the end of the year where the athletes will get some money from that um, if they're ranked highly enough um, but world triathlon it's the kind of the same thing prize money is fairly limited unless you're at the top so you know if you win a world triathlon series race i think it's twenty thousand dollars for first but it drops down pretty fast to a, like a couple hundred dollars for 15th and so it's very limited limited prize money um, i think the Maybe the advantage is if you're a high-level athlete in world triathlon, you might have some support from your uh, national governing body, so they might be helping you with a stipend or with some travel or something like that. Um, if you're if you're really interested in it, you can go on USAT's website and kind of see what the American system is like. Uh, they have a handful of documents about how to how to get funding from from USA Triathlon, but it's not a ton either. So unless you're the top couple in the world, you're not going to get enough funding to go to all the races that you need to. So that does make it pretty challenging. Um, yeah. And then uh, some of your sponsors, 
you know, they might, they might pay you for social media hits. So if you're out there advertising a product then maybe you'll, you'll get something. I know there are uh, some age groupers that I think make more money than pros because they're social media influencers and they can go talk about a product and more people will see it than if Gustav Eden pushes the same product. So that's, that's the other part. I think social media could probably be the biggest bucket here if you're not at the top end of the list. Yeah. Right? Like if you are, if you're, you know, Jan, Lionel, well, Lionel makes a ton of money on social media, the work that he does with Talbot. Um, so, well, he splits that obviously then with Talbot in some way. But, you know, social media allows, I think, even amateurs, age groupers, middle of the pack professionals to significantly boost their income. Um, and like, just think of like Sam Long, his social media really started to pick up in 2020 when the pandemic was going on. And I knew about Sam before Sam was ever really winning about races because of social media. And then he, you know, 2020, he raced that small race. I don't remember the name of it. It was like one of the only races we saw during the year in 2020. It was like a local triathlon, but it had Sam was there. I think Ben Canute was there, several others. Uh, and then he, then he also went down to Florida at the end of the year and raced in Daytona and performed pretty well. So, but, but he started to probably make money or gain a following on social media well before that. Lionel Sanders is probably the most obvious one with a social media following. Lucy Charles Barclay has a huge channel. Many others do as well. Tons of other professionals in the top, you know, 50 of the sport have YouTube channels and they're sharing about their training, what's going on. And that stuff makes a ton of money over time. As long as they can gain some ground, you got to gain some ground. You got to gain some, some following, um, so I think that's probably the most consistent area for some of the some of the pros. Yeah, but what's tough is when top level pros have to compete with with age groupers for uh, for that space. Why is that tough? I, I just I, th- I feel like it's it's funny when you see even upper middle of the pack age groupers that have gigantic social media followings because they're interesting on social media, but they're not. Uh, yeah, they're not the people you just talked about, right? They're not. Uh, super elite athletes i think that's yeah no i think that's great i follow a ton of them on social media as well and it's cool because well sometimes you know sometimes it's just a story right and people want to hear a story whether you're the best in the world or you were just like second to last and now you're in the middle of the pack both of those have a story so i i like it that there are these stories out there you know there's everyone there's so many different personalities though so like um you know, you know, there's the Canadian triathlon Terran. Well, he doesn't do triathlons anymore. But a good example, whether you like him or not, you can put that aside and say, like, he told a story and he gave generic advice and he helped get maybe more people interested in triathlon. And that helped how that's how he grew his base. And I guarantee you, he probably made more than 95% of the people in the top 100 of the PTO just because of that. Right. Um, maybe even more. So yeah. you can be upset about that, or you can be like, hey, what is he doing that others should be doing too? Yep. They need to tell their story better. He told a story, and he got following for it, and he got you know, financially rewarded for it. Whether you like it or not, it doesn't matter. Right. It's just I feel like in like the major sports, maybe I'm out of touch, but LeBron doesn't have to worry about some age amateur selling more Nike shoes than him. 
for the most part. LeBron, <laughs> LeBron no. Um, you're right. But that, it, it kind of goes to show, like, well, we can kind of give some of the examples. So Ruth and her video, where is she at in the PTO ranking? She's, like, top 10, 15 or so. Let's see. I've, got the, I've got the women's pulled up. She is 19th. 19th. She, after expenses, made 58 Five fifty-eight thousand five hundred pounds, I think, is what she was sharing. Um, we're talking top twenty in the world, like t- think top twenty basketball, any other mainstream sport. That's not that's not a lot of money. You break it down by like a normal work week of two thousand hours. That's uh, twenty-five twenty twenty-seven dollars an hour. Yeah. If you if she has a normal work week. Um, and that, that could be just normal work week could be sitting on your butt in an office job, doing some other task in a, in a, in another setting, blue collar setting, whatever it might be. That's not a lot of money. No. And I mean, that's like what an NBA player makes in uh, a couple minutes, right? On the court. <laughs> yeah. A game or less. Yeah. Um, so it kind of goes to show there's, I think it, to the point of like, Hey, we'll talk social media, but. Yeah, you can make money with sponsors and prize money and all those other things. But if at the end of the day you can't build a following and you can't tell a story, then you're not helping the sport grow. And you're not helping more people be interested in triathlon and bring, you're not bringing more money to the sport. So candidly, I I think the people that are helping the sport grow on social media and YouTube and they're making one money that way, good for them. They've earned it. But they're also doing a lot more for the sport than someone that just lines up, you know, gets paid by Mercedes and is wearing a fancy watch and doesn't do anything to help the sport grow other than, yeah, they win every time they show up to the line. Like that to me isn't as impressive. Yeah, it's not Sometimes about racing it's, anymore. It's about your what you can do. It is. You're right. If ra- the race is only part of the is only part of the hurdle. But, but I uh, totally get it. So, like, it kind of brings up the question: Why would anyone want to be a pro then? I it's hard. You were, yeah, yeah. I think that it's just because you want to, you want to see how good you could be, right? And I know that you could do that as an age grouper, but right. I don't know. There's something. There's something about like getting your ass kicked, I guess, in a pro race that's interesting. <laughs> it, it is interesting. Like. um and this kind of touches on both fronts. Miguel, what's his name? His last name. He he's going pro in twenty three. Yeah, Miguel Maddox. Yes, uh, from yeah. t- I think he's from Tennessee. Is that right? And he's, um, or he's from California. I don't know. I watch okay. I watch their videos. Him and Jenna, and they they have good videos on social media. But is he going to compete as a pro? Probably not. At least not yet. He's young. Maybe he'll he's pretty develop young. and get faster. Uh, I hope he does. But he's telling his videos and social media tells a really cool story. Yeah, yeah, and he's. It'll he's, be fun uh, to watch him enter the pro field. Right, and what's interesting, you know, I don't, I don't think he's quite ready to make the jump. I think he'll get there. Like he's got the the skill set. But when you look at a guy like that, he's like one of the best age groupers in America. Yes. But there's just such a gulf that he'll probably be at the bottom twenty percent of the pros. Yeah. Just like I was. There's a big. It was a big bottom, jump. Bottom it's 5%. A big jump. <laughs> <laughs> so. It's like, hey, but to the question of, hey, why do people want to be pros? Because it's a dream, right? It's fun to chase yeah. your dreams. Like, I don't, I'm not knocking that at all. Um, I think you can go for it if you have the chance. 
Yeah, I mean, I didn't make any money. I made, uh, I had enough of a sponsor to cover all of my expenses for the most part every year, and that was great. You did? That's good. Yeah, and it was it was only a few thousand dollars, but I got really good at uh, being cost efficient, and that was enough to break even and go race some seventy point threes for free, and uh, that was fine. It was fun, uh, but like, did you enjoy racing as a pro more or racing now as a age or in the age group amateur field? I enjoyed like, racing as a pro. Because with pro, you're just in the back. Like, you're just blown off the back right away. Yeah, but at the same time, you're also in the front because you don't have to worry about the crowds. You know, you don't have to check your bike the day before. There's a lot of cool things about being a pro other than that it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. Just being able to kind of have the perks of taking care of your bicycle and doing that stuff, being at the front of the race and not, you know, getting stuck in with a bunch of people worrying about if you're going to get a drafting penalty or not. Cause I sure as heck was never going to get a drafting penalty as a pro. So I don't know. I think that stuff was fun. Um, kind of mingling with the other pros was always neat to kind of seeing mm-hmm. some of your childhood idols racing with you was pretty neat. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it didn't make any money, but it was fun to go do it for a couple of years. And I got a lot of good experiences out of it. Uh, but somebody asked me that back then, like, why are you racing pro? Like, you're not racing any money. You're not making money. You're getting, like, bottom five every race. But I don't know. I don't think – I think that there are some pros that probably look at hobby pros as being, like, a disrespect to the sport. But nobody thinks that some guy that's on the practice squad in the NFL is being disrespectful to the sport, even though he's never going to see a second of game action, right? And so I think yeah. it's the kind of the same thing, like – it's not we don't have the G League like the NBA does or you know some minor league system like baseball and hockey like you're just in it you're either in it or you're out right and so mm-hmm. um, maybe that's one of the things that hopefully the PTO will help develop is have some lower tier races where B and C <laughs> level pros could go figure it out because I think by the time I learned how to race I lost my pro card and so um, you know. I'm better now than I was as a pro and I wish I could race pro again because I think I would do a lot better. Things would be different. What would you do if you went back 10 years and got a second chance at it? Um, it's almost not even doing anything differently. I think it's just learning how to race. You know, by the time I learned how to race and like learned what worked for me and things like that, then you're out of it already. So that was the hard that's kind of the hard part about being a pro like learning to race like you know being the surge of the swim after the first hundred hundred yards is like what do you mean learning to race i think tactics nutrition things to make your bike faster you know like back then too i didn't have enough money because i was a low-level pro not making any money to have like the fastest equipment and the fastest setup and like it's amazing now after having a normal job and being able to afford a bike, just how much faster and more aerodynamic I am now uh, because I could afford to get a new bike. Whereas back then yeah. I was on the bike that I could afford and it's it's just different. You know, if there was a support system, I think for for younger athletes, and I think that the athletes coming up have that now. And so I'm hopeful like all the juniors on our team um, – there's we've got a handful of guys that want to be pro and you know i think even you know 10 years from now when they're in their late 20s you could be a lower level pro and probably find a way to make 
make a living or at least make enough money that you can work part-time and, and make it work, you know? I mean, it's, it, that's interesting. Um, if you want to be a pro now, the, and this is coming from like just for, you know, my perception of the situation, you got to figure out a way to grow social media. Like you're, you're running a business and yeah. your business is only going to be successful if people care about it. If you can get people in the door, you can get people in the door by winning races as a, if you can do that, great. You don't have to worry about anything else. Just go out and win every race. Not many people can do that. So how else are you going to get people in the door of your business? And that's by advertising, the marketing, and getting people telling your story. You have to do one or the other. And if you can do both, even better. But you have to do one or the other. Right. Yeah, you've got to you know, you gotta Someone put like Lionel does both. Like he's probably making plenty of money. He's sure doing, he tells an awesome story and he goes out there and he's competitive. He doesn't win every race, but he's competitive and he wins a lot, which makes it quite interesting. Um, oh, kind of a side note to the bike comment. I finally got my bike to the shop, whole new front end. I'm, I'm excited to see how much, uh, how much I can, more aerodynamic I can be next time I'm out there on the, on the real road. That's exciting. I'm go pick it up later today. I, it's super exciting. Yeah, new aero bars. I have the Trek Speed concept, and I'm taking away the uh, using the plug-in extension now with aero bars that raise the hands a little bit higher, bringing the elbows a little bit closer, and um, oh yeah, and got a ceramic uh, bottom bracket and some derailleur pulleys too, so I can get those half a watt increases hopefully. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pumped. I, uh, I haven't done my front end yet. I'm still waiting for my new Cannondale. And so whenever, whenever that happens and I see how much it's going to cost to get all that fixed up and put back together, then, then I'll, uh, I'll take a look at the front end. Did you get the parts for your bike? What, what you're going to put on it or not yet? Not yet. I'm, I'm waiting to see how much I have to spend to rebuild my Cannondale. So we'll see. I and I, I've also bought first... a new power meter, so I took a big hit there. Oh, okay. Oh, did you get the rally pedals? I did. And uh, maybe we'll do a review on those later on after I ride them a little bit they, more. But They work or they don't, right? They should just work. Uh, like, my, power, my power is now accurate. Um, I can tell you that for sure. You were using the twos? Yeah. And, you oh, know, yeah. the like the last race I did, not not Worlds, but like the last local race in October, I averaged like 24.8 miles an hour and, and did 180 watts. And I know I'm not quite that slippery in the wind. Um, So now I'm on an easy ride doing about 160, 170 watts. And that seems much more accurate. Yeah. So, yeah. That's good. You should, those pedals are similar to the threes and they're very user friendly. Yeah. And so So hopefully you like those. This will be my first time though, using a bike shop to do maintenance or like anything on my bike. So my only question is how much are they going to charge me? Like, probably way too much for what they did but yeah. i couldn't have done it so i kind of needed their help they to re to run and re-cable like the the integrated cockpit of a speed concept is not i would have been wasting hours and days trying to do that so but i agree i have no interest in uh in wiring my own bike and doing anything with the electronics or anything like that yeah Mine's fully mechanical, so it's every every wire is running every length of the bike. It's not. It would have been not fun. Um, so are we are we done though? Kind of covering life as a pro. Anything I else think you so. want to add? 
yeah, no, I think I think that's it. I'm sure that uh, the, the the only thing that I did mention was appearance fees. Is some pros do get appearance fees to come to races, uh, particularly long course. You don't really see that in uh, in short course, um, but the uh, it's very small in triathlon. So like if you look at one of Cody Beal's old blogs, I think he made like three thousand dollars in appearance fees, and that was when he was ranked in the top ten of the world in seventy point three. So you're not. It's not a lot. It's not like Usain Bolt appearance fees that are two hundred to two hundred fifty thousand dollars. It's uh, a few hundred bucks or maybe a couple thousand dollars if you're lucky. Yeah, it's a it's a race director trying to pay for your flight and hotel to get to their race, and then right. you compete for the prize purse type of thing. Yeah, maybe it's bigger, maybe it's changed, but um, yeah, I think that was a pretty good recap on life as a pro and you know if anyone's listening and wants to be a pro go for it i hope you i hope you're successful um but yeah definitely keep in mind that there's a lot of aspects to being a pro and how you make money and what's going to help sustain you than just winning right um we have a question where'd this question come from uh this came from seth one of our uh regular listeners and uh, he had asked the best degree for triathletes and so i think that's really really broad because one, it depends on what you want to do, right? Obviously, don't uh, don't get your degree based on triathlon. Get your degree based on what kind of normal job you want to have. But I also think that, like for me, uh, I thought about getting a sports science degree, but I decided not to because I feel like sports science changes so much. And I'm glad that I did it because I think that the sports science now is so much different than 10 years ago that – a degree in sports science from 2014 was would basically be useless now. Uh, but I got my degree in aerospace engineering and I did, uh, it was a dual degree with mechanical and I had an emphasis on thermal energy and stuff. And so I think that's actually very triathlon relevant because I was able to learn a lot about aerodynamics. I learned a lot about energy and heat transfer and that is stuff that I use every day as a coach. And so uh, calculating work and stuff like that. So that ended up being really good. So following the coaching path, I I think that I was better served getting an engineering degree than a sports science degree because I'm learning sports science and I've been learning sports science since I was 13 years old. And so I think if you want to be in triathlon, um, you know, figure out what, what might help you the most in your, in your day-to-day life. And, uh, you know, I've told athletes this before, like you might not be a pro triathlete, but you can still make a living off triathlon. And so that's kind of where, where my life has, has taken me. Yeah. I think that this is a great question and I'm humbled that young people are listening and asking that question and are interested in your take and, or my take, because, um, they got a lot ahead of them. If you're thinking about this question, my initial thought, my guidance would be, your degree and your education should have nothing to do with triathlon, right? Um, it, triathlon can be a big part of anyone's life, and it doesn't have to matter what degree you have. If you go to a race and ask everyone their degree, you're going to find a wide array of, of responses, I would suspect. And again, everyone has a story of how their life came together and why they're at that race and, and how they're putting together you know, everything that, that got them there. So, so to me, I would almost say like, it's hard, especially if you love triathlon and that's like your number one priority that to say, Hey, should triathlon be like dictating what degree I have? 
I would almost urge you no. And I would almost still say that to your point, right? Even if you want to be a coach, even if you want to be uh, in some other aspect of, hey, I want to do this in triathlon, I would almost say, like, make it step back one moment and say, can be a little bit more broad here. How, how would you use that? Um, because like a sports science degree, to your point, sports science changes quite a lot. You can regularly read the research articles. You can regularly do your own studying. If you want to be a coach, a degree isn't going to necessarily help you be a coach. If you want to be a, you know, you know, studying athletes' performance and all those other things, maybe sports science makes sense. But your degree doesn't stop at a bachelor's degree. You need a master's. You need a doctorate. You want to do research. That's another field. Like if that's your field, go for it. Um, outside of that, I would say, like separate triathlon from your education. Um, but still let triathlon be a big part of your life. That's how I approached it. My degree's in engineering as well. Um, fire protection engineering. So I have nothing, there's nothing related to my education necessarily that's related to triathlon other than like, maybe if you're, you know, Keith, you're also an engineering degree, like maybe engineers are the right, the right mindset to like, Hey, how do I adjust my handlebars? How do I get more aerodynamic? The details engineers are obviously very interested in the details of every little minor change. How's that impacting the bike? How's that impacting my run mechanics? How's that impacting my swim mechanics? Maybe there's a correlation there, but that's not the degree speaking. That's the personality of the people speaking. Um, so that's almost why I say separate it, but like, I know we have two different takes here. I don't know, Seth, where you're, focus is already like, Hey, do you want to be a coach? You want to be a sports scientist and doing all the studies and stuff like that? Then, then go that way. Outside of that, um, I would say pause and just separate things for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think that having the engineering degree does help with some of the math that we do, uh, on a, on a regular basis, which is nice. Um, the, the PTO needs some engineers. They, yeah, they got right. a lot of math they need to figure out. Uh, but then like Joel Filial, one of the best coaches in in short course at least he doesn't even have a degree he was on a podcast and said he dropped out of school to go be a part of Simon Woodfield's team getting ready for the 2000 Olympics and uh, he got to be on his coaching staff and dropped out of school moved across the country which was Canada and never went back never needed to so um, I mean it's like it's like what do you want to be right like if you want to be a coach what makes a good coach a good coach doesn't have to know every every book that's ever been written. A good coach better be a really good communicator, though. Better understand people. Better be able to work with people and uh, and like read between the lines. Hey, I feel great today. Maybe they don't actually, right? Like, there's so many other aspects to a coach than a degree, and that's really why I say like, even if you want, almost regardless of where you, where you think you want to end up today, separate it because the other aspects are going to be just as important. And you can learn those in many other ways. Yeah. yeah. Good advice. So I think no. that's good. like, no one would have asked that question 10 years ago. I don't think. No, no, it's because triathlon's growing. Because there's a chance for people to have a future in triathlon do. Maybe, maybe there is, maybe it is growing. That that's a good thing because people need to pros need to make more money. Uh, if we want the sport to, to really develop into something else. But uh, I think the last thing that we had uh, as far as topics today was to go over the the announcement that the Ironman World Championship would be split. We kind of touched on it already, uh, but the men will be racing in Nice 
uh, on September 10th, and the women will be racing in Kona. I don't know the date. I want to say it's October 7th, but it's the traditional Saturday date. Uh, yeah. And so, um, I don't know. I, I think it's fine. I don't like the split. I like the move, but I don't like the split. I think that having the, the men and women together makes it a world championship, but... I understand Kona not wanting to do two days. How do, how do you feel about it? If I lived in Kona, I totally get it because they like locked down the island for half a week. Uh, plus all the people start showing up a week or two in advance. Like, yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, so I totally get it. If I lived in Kona, I would, you could, you get one day, you're not going to get two days. You need to cut this down as a triathlete. Uh, I hate it. I don't like that now if I want to do an Ironman. Like, if, in my head, I have this rough sketch of when I might do an Ironman and start my process of maybe trying to qualify. Now I also need to overlay that with, is my qualification process going to start the right year to get me to Kona or somewhere else? Like, now it makes it even more complicated. And I don't like that because obviously the first year you do an Ironman, you might not, I probably won't qualify. I'm just trying to figure things out. Then the second year you did like, it just makes it more complicated. I hate that as a, someone who's been involved in doing competing in triathlons, I want to race a world championship in Kona one day, not in Nice. Nice would be cool, but like, to me, that's not where I want to go. And I don't, has Ironman published any numbers? What's the deferral rate of people age groupers deferring out of Nice into Kona. I really want to know that number because I suspect it's quite high. I I bet there's a way we could figure it out because I think they're adjusting the number of slots available at races as yeah. they uh, as the year goes on. Like, and so, it, yeah. If you go to Slow Twitch, there's a thread about this. And like everybody, like 90% of people are, are commenting that they're deferring. Yeah. But I wonder if the people that are on Slow Twitch are from the Western Hemisphere. Probably. Because I've, I follow a couple of European triathlon publications, and I haven't seen anyone that has said anything negative. It's only on the U.S. side. and uh, You're right. I have, a, I have a European friend, and, and he said, you know, I have zero interest in racing Kona, and now that it's in Europe, like it makes more sense for Europeans. And I don't think that Europeans necessarily have grown up with the same, same Kona nostalgia that we have. And so okay, they've got Roth and they've got Nice. And now, now Nice is actually the world championship. And so, um, I don't know. I'd be interested. So I now wish there's I, actually no world championships. There's an Eastern and Western hemisphere world championship. Yes. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I don't know. I like that it's that it's moving away. I think that twenty years from now, people will forget, and they'll be okay with it. And Kona will just be like a part of history, you know. And we'll we'll have some sort of rotation or, or something, something different. That'll be tough for me to. I can't visualize it today. Change happens, though. I get it. Um, I'm not an old person set in my ways just yet. But I want to race Kona. Yeah, I I want to and race might, Kona might because to be of the 60. history. I don't. But... Yeah, I, I might be sixty years old when I do it, and I might might not even be a race at that point in time. I'll just take a vacation in Kona and do the course. Right, but 
I don't know. I, I think it's good. There's no other sport that I can think of where their championship doesn't rotate. We don't play the Super Bowl in the same place every year. And um, maybe, like, I, I don't follow, like, the motorsports that closely. I think MotoGP follows the same schedule every year, but their their world championship is a culmination of points, so it doesn't really matter where the last race is. Um I don't know. The yeah, Olympics rotates. I get it. No, you're making those are good points, but it's not like, and this is what everyone has to understand from my perspective. I started do, to do triathlon after I watched that NBC or ABC broadcast of the of a triathlon in Kona. So I was like, oh, I should go try to do a triathlon. And this is like right after high school, and I so I started because of Kona. I started because of what I saw out there, and I thought like that was impressive i want to can i do that um so like to me that's where it all started yeah so i have to keep i get gotta that keep too. pushing yeah all right well uh i think that's all we had for today i think next episode we'll probably pick up our our trading for certain distances that we had uh gotten started yeah and hopefully it won't take another month and a half we'll you know, with the holidays and, and me being sick constantly. So um, we'll get back to a regular schedule here soon. Yeah. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll catch you in the next one. Yep, thanks.